God's house this morning as people gather around. We uh, went on a very, very quick, very, very quick. We covered 1,600 miles in a few days last weekend. Went down for a Fishers of Men um, kind of leadership conference. and Because the little, the little Fishers of Men event that we do here, they, they do it all across the, the southeast and it continues to grow. So it was really cool to get to meet other folks and uh, talk and see how they uh, run theirs. And uh, we've got four or five boats that do it. And uh, we'll get a few more next year, but the, one of the guys from Louisiana, they have about 70 boats. I was like, whoo-wee, that's a, that's, a, that's a lot. And I uh, couldn't imagine Moulton would be a little crowded if we try to put 70 boats on a little river down there for sure. But, uh, but everything was good, everything was safe, and so it's definitely good to be back. I told Pastor Huff this morning, I was like, I don't know if you realize it or not, but it's been about a month since we've actually been here together, uh, just for different traveling and everything. So it's definitely um, good to be here this morning. And uh, every song that we sang this morning triggered a thought in my head of just how God is good in this past week. Um, just there, there's an instance that fit. And I'll, if I remember them, I'll share them in the passage um, and the, the, the message this morning. So, but we will go ahead and get started this morning. Uh, the title of the message this morning is Reaction Strike. Is Reaction Strike. So turn to page 50, not page 52, Psalm 52. In your Bibles, Psalms 52, and let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 52. All right, got it. Let's go. Okay, Psalms 52. Why do you boast of evil, Almighty Man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor. You worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. Selah. You love all words that devour, O oh, deceitful tongue. But God, you will break, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of of the godly. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you to be in your house this morning. We've talked about how just the freedoms that we have in this country and we, we come this morning together by our own free will to choose to worship you in your house this morning. And thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for this word here that David has penned and hundreds and hundreds of years later we get to open it and to read it and to dive into it and to understand it. So be with us this morning that our hearts can be open and our minds can be open to learn from your word. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So, of course, anytime I get to start a message with a fishing analogy, I'm pretty stoked about it. So, but reaction strike. So, um, anytime, a couple weeks ago, we were at the lake and Dan, river and Daniel was with us and Daniel threw his little fluke out there. And just boom, all of a sudden, just 
he threw it out there. He, you know, you throw your reel out there, and then you flip your bell over, and you start reeling. Well, Daniel, he threw his fluke out there, and boom! Just a fish just, just blew up at it. That's what we like to happen in the fishing community. And that's called a reaction strike. Why? Because you've got a fish that's just sitting there, and you throw a lure at its head, and it's like, what was that? Right? And then it just, it's a reaction. He strikes it because you scared it. Right? And then there's another um, type of reaction. Actually, Joel, can you bring me that? I forgot. Nice fish. But, you know, there's a other kind of reaction strike as well. Thanks, sir. Appreciate that. Hey, what's up? What? That's a reaction strike as well. He had fun with that. <laughs> well, right? Somebody hits you. Somebody hits you. You want reaction strike right back. And that's what happened in this psalm today. Psalm 52. David had been hit hard. But we're going to see from this passage today how evil ones react to their own evil how God reacts to evil, and then how David reacts to evil, and those lessons that we can learn from that. Because there's a lot of bad situations that go on in our lives, right? The top one right now, of course, is Afghanistan and that handover, right? Takeover, right? But that situation, you're like, well, that's just a bad situation. There's horrific situations, whether it's an accident um, or a diagnosis or just a loss, there's these horrific situations in our lives. But today we don't want to focus on we want to focus today on those evil ones and how do we respond to those? As a Christian, how should we respond to those bad situations? So we're going to dive into Psalm 52 and we're going to walk right through it. I got asked this morning, Dad, how many notes do you have? I was like, eight. I was like, no, I got four. I was like, I'm training my kids to ask me how many pages of notes do we have. So we, we've ruined them. We've ruined them. Yeah, that's what made me think about it. So let's actually, don't, don't forget the little part in Scripture above the first verse. So let's look at that in Psalms 52. It says, To the choir master, a mascal of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Himelech. Right? So when I read that, I'm like, what's a mascal? My first thought, because um, we make products for the cosmetic industry, was those commercials with the ladies that have all that mask on their face. But that's not a mascal. So a, a mascal is actually used in the Psalms 13 times, and it's essentially a sacred song with instructions. With instructions. So we're going to look at those instructions today, because this is, a, this is an incredible psalm, as all of them are, that took a man's evil message, took a man's evil deeds, and hundreds of years later it still turned into inspired instruction for us because we are faced with evil in our lives every day. So, verse number one. Why do you boast of evil, almighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Who is this mighty man? Let's go back to 1 Samuel 21. And if you could with me, flip to 1 Samuel 21 because we're going to be there back and forth for a little bit. So if you do have your Bibles or the one in the pew, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 21 and 22. And we're going to learn a little bit about Doeg. That's what Daniel asked me. What are, we going to, what are you going to preach about? I was like, this man named Doeg. You ever heard of him? It's a good thing your name isn't Doeg, but maybe, I don't know. It's an odd name. So 
I, di- I didn't find that when we were picking out kids' name. I shared that story before. I really like the name of Dathan to pick out for one of our children. And then on the next page of the Bible, um, he t- betrayed Moses, and then God opened up the ground and swallowed him, so we couldn't use that one um, <laughs> for to name to name our kids. So so now we just uh, and Doeg's another one. I was like, but that one didn't pique my interest. So let's read a little bit here about the story of Doeg in First uh, Samuel chapter twenty-one. We're actually going to. Um, this is when D- David and Jonathan, um, you know, their friendship. And Jonathan has essentially um, told David that, yes, Saul is going to kill you. He wants to kill you. That wasn't just an empty threat when he threw the spear at you. He's going to kill you. And so now David is on the run. He is technically a fugitive because the king wants him captured and then he wants to kill him. So David is on the run. And in 1 Samuel chapter 21... Um, he goes to, the, uh, to Na- the city of Nob and to Ahimelech, the priest. So 21.7, it says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elab, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. So he came to the house of the priest. David had essentially no food, no money, no anything. Right? And he comes to the house of the priest and uh, he tells a little bit of a lie. And we're going to circle back to that in a little bit. But he doesn't, doesn't tell Elimelech the whole truth here that he just says he's on a mission right, from the king. But we have Doeg here who's one of Saul's, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. He, he sees this, right? He sees this take place. Right? So then after that, David flees um, to Gath. And then he goes in chapter 22, the cave of Adullam, right? And then now let's pick up reading in 1 Samuel 22, verse 6. It says, Now Saul had heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? that all of you have conspired against me. No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it, at this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of... I didn't practice that word. Ahitam. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Okay? So we're almost through this background story, but I want to make sure everybody gets it. Right? So now Saul's like, hey, where is David? Nobody's telling me where David's at. I know that he's still alive. I know that he now has people with him. Where is he at? Now Doeg chooses to say, I know where he was at. And he says he was at the house of the priest Ahimelech. And so now Saul says, all right, bring Ahimelech and his family, bring him to the, bring him to me. 
And then the last part of the story we'll read. 1 Samuel twenty-two seventeen, And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. Unfortunately, David, right, he didn't say that he was a fugitive at that time. So Elimelech, who said, I didn't know anything about this, but King Saul didn't matter to him. So picking back up, it says, But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priest of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priest, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priest, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. So Doeg wiped out 85 priests in the entire city in which they lived. That is evil. So written, this psalm is written by King David after he learns of this tragedy and learned what had happened. So what would his reaction be? So we're going to look at these reactions. So let's go back to Psalms 52. We're going to look first about the evil one's reaction to evil. I know that sounds kind of funny, but what does evil look like? Right? So let's talk about a few of those. So verse 1, Why do you boast of evil, almighty man? So of course here, David is being sarcastic in this psalm, in this prayer. Almighty man. Right? That sarcastic tone. A lot of times the kids will say, Hey, Dad, watch this. Right? Not an AFV video, but hey, Dad, watch this. And sometimes it don't work out like it's supposed to work out. And then what do I say? As they're laying on the ground. Nice job there, hotshot. Right? It's like, it's like, yeah, you're supposed to do this. And it's like, yeah, you thought you were this hotshot, but no, it didn't quite work out for you, right? That kind of sarcastic tone, right? But then also the, the boasting of evil is a reaction as well. And, and I don't want to downplay this, but just how things connect to my mind. You know, ones that boast of evil. Uh, we have this rooster, a couple of roosters that are learning to crow. It, it, it isn't quite there yet, right? This chicken thinks that he has something to boast about, but no, not really. And, um, but th there's just nothing to boast about. And that's exactly what David is saying here. Look, th this mighty man thinks he is this mighty man, but guess what? He's not. Do priests ever pick up a sword? And that day, no. He took out 85 people that never picked up a sword, didn't know how to fight, and then took out their family and children. There's nothing mighty about that. Charles Spurgeon wrote, A mighty man indeed to kill men who never touched a sword. He ought to have been ashamed of his cowardice. Right? Trying to shape up the character of this doeg here and just how evil his nature was. But then at the end of verse 1, there's, a, there's definitely a quick start contrast, right? It says, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. We have this boasting of evil versus the goodness of God, right? Already framed up there. And David is saying right here that, hey, look, you've got all this evil, but look, the steadfast love of my God endures forever. 
So we're going to circle back to that. So reaction of evil is that people boast in their own evil. Verse 2, your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. So we know the situation. But what makes David, as he's contemplating this, is that Doeg picked out the right time to say this. And I think that, that um, when we look, I want to look back at, let's see, 1 Samuel 22.4. I believe this was 22.4. It says, And he left them, David, with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the day that David was in a stronghold. So David is here, is in this cave, right? He's waiting all this time. So Doeg didn't just run to the king and say, Hey, I know where David's at. He didn't say that. Like this, that knowledge is power. I think that he felt like he had a little bit on David, and he was waiting for the right time to use it. What motivated him, what motivated Doeg to hold that information is something that we have to watch out to as well. I read it earlier, probably didn't pick it up then, but in 1 Samuel 22, 7, And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? What's the king promising there? The king is promising that, hey, I'll give you your fields, I'll give you fortune, I'll give you prestige, but you got to give me some information on David. So after the time is right, after the reward and the riches is right, now Doeg decides to, hey, yep, I know. I know where he's at. Now he decides to use that information. So in Psalms 52 where it says, right, he plots destruction, sharp razor, and worker of deceit, Doeg is working this plan in his mind. Right? He's working this plan in his mind. Now when I grew up, actually our first year of marriage, I don't know why, but our first year of marriage was dedicated to law and order and CSI. I, I, I don't know why. I, I don't know. We, we can't really even watch it now. But our first year, it was like law and order every night. I think it was just when the... You could save the shows and then you could rewatch it so you could fast forward through the commercials. I mean, we would catch five or six law and orders just after supper. And, um, but right, that concept of premeditated murder, right? Premeditated, right? This situation of Doeg here, it was premeditated. He was waiting for the time and the place to maximize his award and his treasure. So evil plots destruction, acts like a sharp razor, and a worker of deceit. Verse 3 says, You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. Whether we like it or not, some people just love evil. Some people in our lives, actually we probably try to stay away from those people, but we know that we need to continue to reach those people. But some people just love evil. Some people just love lying. They like to hide, they like to throw false words and hide behind them. If you don't know one personally, I'm sure you've seen one on the internet. Right? I read one on the internet. One commentator, Trapp, uh, he says, The heart is, this is a little bit older, so the older English, but the heart is not, and thence it is thy tongue is so mischievous. 
as stinking breath cometh from corrupt inwards. Okay? Now, I shared that old one, but a stinking breath come from corrupt inwards. Right? Inside is just so yucky. Sorry, not a really technical term. It's so yucky. It's so evil that the words that come out of people's mouth is just so hurtful. And never are they hardly ever true. So let's take a quick look here and let's look at how I said that we would come back to David's little lie. So David in 1 Samuel 21 2. 1 Samuel 21 2 it says, And David said to Helimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter which I send to you, with which I have charged you. So David said that he was on a mission for the king. So David lied. But unlike true evil, David at least did own up to his lie. 1 Samuel 22, 22. And David said to Abathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. So David had to realize that he had a part in this. But David realized, well, let me say, in a lot of our situations, when we think about the words that we say, we take all the blame because we might have started that domino. Anybody play with domino kids, right? You set up those dominoes, right? And then at the end, right, something happens, right? You either, you either hit the bell, or what was the, uh, we used to play the, the mouse trap game, I think was one that we had, right? At the end, you try to catch the mouse, but you, you do all these sequence of events, and then at the end, it happens. In this case, in the end, the tragic thing happens with all the priests and their families being killed, and David says, yes, I had a part in this, but David realizes that people, Doeg especially, are just evil. They're just evil. And when we realize that we make a mistake and we play a part in something, we take too much of that blame. I'm, I feel like I'm chasing my words here a little bit. What I'm trying to say is that nobody's perfect. And if bad things happen in a certain situation that you didn't have any direct effect to, try to remember that the one that actually did the task, their evilness, and don't let it bring you down that much because David could have said, this is all my fault, but did David control the sword that killed those people? He did not. He did not. Instead, he rebounded, and he rebounded quite well at the end of the psalm, which we'll get to in just a minute. So in the psalm, he wisely and properly did not blame himself for the massacre. This was the work of a man who simply loved evil. So verse 4, 52, 4. You love all words that devour, devour old deceitful tongue. So 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Pastor Huff talked last week about how God is more powerful than Satan. We often try to put them on level playing fields on your shoulders, but that's not the case. God is more powerful than Satan. 
Now I picked on, I've, I've picked on, I've actually picked on Pastor Huff in a very interesting way in my mind this week because as I watched last week's message, all I can think about is air, air traffic controller. Because he did this about three times last week. Peace with God and versus peace with the folks that you live and work with as far as it depends on me, right? So that God, right, we live, and look, we know that we are imperfect people. We make mistakes, but we strive to have that peace with God and we strive to have that peace with others. But there are people out there that will just not let us have peace. They want to continue to devour us. And it's becoming even more prominent today that they want to devour us. So 52 verses 1 through 4. I don't know if you highlight, if you underline in your, in your Bible. If, if you do, I'm going to ask you to just underline or circle these. If not, jot them down. But how evil reacts to evil. Boast of evil. They boast. Verse 2, they plot destruction. Verse 2, like a sharp razor. Verse 2, like worker of deceits. Verse 3, they love evil. Verse 3, they love lying. And verse 4, they devour. So that is what evil does to us. Boast, plots, destructions, worker of deceit, love evil, lie more, devour. You get it? You got a picture? It's not pretty. And there's not much peace in that world either. Because you're always looking where? Over your shoulder. Not much peace there at all. So let's look at God's reaction to evil in this psalm, starting in verse 5. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. So how is God going to react to evil? Four things, right? He's going to break you down. He's going to destroy that evil person. He's going to snatch them. He's going to take them away. He's going to tear them. He's going to pluck that evil person away from their dwelling place. And then fourth, he's going to uproot that evil person. He will do it. Matthew Henry commentary says, When wicked men die, they are rooted out of the land of the living to perish forever as fuel to the fire of divine wrath. Well, that's an illustration. This will be the portion of those that contend with God. David uses the word will here, if you see that. But God will. He will snatch. He will uproot. David has the confidence that God will destroy the wicked. Well, why is he going to destroy the wicked? Go back to the first verse. It says, why do you boast of evil, almighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. If the love of God is going to endure all the day, then evil will not be there. Evil will not be there. God's love endures forever. Last couple of weeks we talked about abiding in God's word. We talked about you can't rip that plant out of the soil and put it back in the soil and rip it out of the soil and put it back in the soil. We have to abide in God's word. Evil only lasts a season versus God's love endures forever. I want to switch over to the New Testament. So flip with me over to Matthew 13, 7. Matthew 13, 7. And this is the parable of the sower that we are familiar with. And 
in this. You never, Huff said last week many times as well, as we double down, we answer Scripture with Scripture. And at first, when I, when I made this connection in my head, I thought it might be an over-extenuation of the text, meaning maybe I stretched it too far. But the more that I thought about it, the more that I liked how this New Testament passage fit in with our study of Doeg. Okay, so here we go. So the parable of the sower. I see Doeg as a possible seed that fell among the thorns. Verse 13, 7. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Then, I always love it when God answers the question, especially when Jesus answers his own parable. <laughs> I like those. And in this case, he did. So 13.7, it says, Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And in 13.22, it says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. What did King Saul ask Doeg to do? He asked him to kill the priest and the whole family. And Saul's army... His army, the men by his side charged to protect him and to do whatever he says. What did they say? They refused to do it. They refused to kill Himelech because they knew they were the priests. They knew they were the holy ones. They knew that they represented God. If they knew, don't you think Doeg knew? He knew. But what? The power and the riches that Saul promised him caused that evil to consume him. And the deceitfulness of the riches choked the gospel and the message. Therefore, Doeg's life was no longer fruitful. I see Doeg in this passage. Psalms 90, excuse me. So, because he faced God, David knew that Doeg would eventually face God. If he got to enjoy, and that's a lot of things that we struggle with is, this person is, they got this, they got this wealth, they got this prestige, they got this money, and we know they didn't get it the right way. We know that. And we don't like it. We don't think it's fair that, hey, they get to do this, enjoy this life, but guess what? David knew that there will be a day of reckoning. David knew that they would get what they deserved eventually. Doeg would get it. He knew that they would be wiped out. Psalms 94.23 says this. Psalms 94.23. It says, He, God, will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. End of sentence. In English, I think that's a declarative sentence. Just period. It's a statement. It's a statement of fact. God will wipe evil out. Revelation 20.10. Revelation 20.10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Who wins? David knew that God would triumph over Doeg. He knew that. As I said earlier, evil is like a weed. 
Do weeds make it year after year after year? No, they die with the seasons. But God's steadfast love lasts all the day, as said in Psalms 52. And if you could turn with me to Psalms 136. Now, this phrase, steadfast love, endures forever. I've said it two or three times today. It's in the Old Testament ESV version 196 times. It's in the book of Psalms 127 times. And if you look at Psalms 136, we've read part of it before here. But look at Psalms 136. You see a pattern here. Give thanks to the Lord your God for He is good for His steadfast love endures forever. And it walks through right the story of creation and the greatness of God. But then look at that Psalm 136, 23. Psalms 136, 23 says, It is He who remembered us in our low estate, for His steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes. Now who is one of David's foes right now? Doeg. He knew that God was going to rescue him, for His steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever so what is God's reaction to the evil one Psalms 52 you want to highlight or, break, or, or underline them Psalms 52 5 God's reaction to evil is that he will break it down he will snatch it he will tear it and he will uproot evil that is God's reaction to evil now, verse 6, there's some that are God-like. What are their reactions? Verse 6 says, The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Saying, now verse 6, fear, they will fear. We've talked about this reverential fear before, but they will fear God. Put the fear of God in them. Even a few minutes ago, Huff was talking about, you know, the life can, I'll take it, you know, if, you if you're not paying attention, you know, honor your father and mother, right? Brought you into this world, I can take you out. But no, it's like God's saying here that this fear, we will fear when we see God take care of that evil and break it down, snatch it up, uproot it. Well, guess what? If we fall into that same evil trap, God will do that to us too. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that rainbow, rainbows and unicorns side of the story, but guess what? That it will happen to us. So there should be a fear to know that we serve an almighty God that will provide everything for us as long as we abide in the love that He provides. In verse 7, or it says, and it says, and we shall laugh at Him. Now I struggle with this as I was studying this week because it says we will laugh at those where the evil um, one has been uprooted. And so of course I'm, I'm, you know, I think about merriment type of laughter. Charles Spurgeon wrote, It is, if not with righteous joy, yet with solemn contempt. This is a goodly theme for that deep-seated laughter, which is more akin to solemnity than merriment. So essentially, I know that when I see that, I'm not going to be laughing like somebody told a good joke. I'm going to be laughing like he got what he deserved. He got what he deserved. So that helped me a little bit with that, that word, laugh. Verse 7, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. 
thought about several different things here in this path, right? The, the building of the house on the rock versus the sand. But what hit me the most with this passage right here is we just got off this fear. We just got off of this, you know, the warning of what God will do to evil. So to me, this was a challenge here to me to make sure that I don't fall into this, this verse. Many times I've shared before, it can be more impactful if you understand a passage, but then you put your name in it. And what hit me really hard as I was looking at this passage is, I don't want to be this verse. Verse 7. See that guy, Kevin? Who would not make God his refuge? But Kevin just trusted in the abundance of his own riches and sought refuge in his own house and in his own safety and has just stayed in his evil ways. I don't want that to be me. So that's what really hit me as I was studying this, this, this psalm this week for this passage is that we don't want to be that man. I want to be the man that abides in the house of God and trust in Him and Him alone. So that was God's reaction and the God-like reaction. So what is David's reaction to evil? Right? What is David's reaction of evil? So just like I got popped in the back of the head earlier today, just think about how, look, this guy helped you out. Ahimelech the priest helped David out in this time. But then come to find out that help caused the death of all those people. Now David had been known to be a fighter. He had taken down some pretty big men. Right? That sword that he got. Now, part of me actually says, that the, the, the guy, the testosterone part of me says, dude, he went to Ahimelech's house. And what did he get? He got Goliath's sword. I'm like... That was pretty cool that he got to go to Salai's sword when I read that story. But then it's like, at what cost? At what cost? So David had every right to go out and just take him down. Right? He killed 85 people, the whole city. David was just, man, I'm going out. I'm going to get him. But that's not what David did. He said this, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. A couple points here. He says a green olive tree. A green olive tree. This is not theological deep. A green olive tree. What is green? Green is healthy. Green is healthy, right? If you see if green is healthy, full of life, when you look at a tree, it's nice and green. You think, hey, that tree is good, right? We live in shady acres. That tree is good. Oh, that tree is what? Brown. Something's wrong with it. It's not getting the nutrients it's need. It's dying. It's lacking something. Or if you can see bugs eating the leaves of a tree, it's just not healthy. But what is, David doesn't say, I'm like a leaf-eaten olive tree. I am like a yellow olive tree. He says, I am like a green olive tree. He's a healthy olive tree. But also, where is he at? In the house of God. I am a healthy olive tree in the house of God. Last week, Chris, Chris said at the beginning when he was doing um, the songs, he was like, I just want to be here every day. Every day. I just want to be in God's house every day. If we are in God's house, if we are living in his presence in our lives every day, we can be a green, healthy olive tree in the house of God. It's hard. Life is hard. Death is all around us. Evil is around us. 
I don't want to confuse the two um, with, with evil and death because God knows the time of every person that passes. But it's hard. David just lost those, the whole city of those that helped him and that he knew. We've all lost folks three weeks ago. Um, one of the kids that I coached two years, two years ago took his life. Got a call on Wednesday that um, Brother Bob from our church in North Carolina, kids talked to him on Sunday. Tuesday, heart attack, gone. Gone. It's hard to be like a green olive tree. But you will not be green. You will not be healthy if you are not in the house of God. Psalms 128, Psalms 128, 3 and 4, it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So we roll up several of these comments here about, look, we, we sit around the dinner table almost every night. I would give a six out of seven, probably, that we eat together. And there's nothing more satisfying than um, hearing about the family and the day and how Renee supports, right? She is that fruitful vine that supports our family. The children, like olive shoots, yeah, they shoot up. <laughs> they shoot up. That's not what it's intending. But man, they shoot up because even just looking at pictures from last year or two years before, it's like, who is that baby-faced Joah? But now he's like, oh my gracious, he's not baby-faced anymore. He has shot up. And I do feel blessed when we get to share those meals together because we know that God has instituted our, the family and we try to take that family as a precious thing. And man, it is such a blessing. Psalms 27.4 Psalms 27.4 says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that, I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in His temple. That verse again is just to reiterate the importance of being in the presence of God. Next verse, Psalms 52. Excuse me, trust actually. At, the, at verse 8 after the olive tree, it says, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. We trust in the steadfast love of God. Now let's talk about trust for a minute because I didn't know what was going on yesterday afternoon at 5 o'clock. I thought maybe somebody had asked for a miracle because I don't know if y'all realized how dark it got around here at 5 or 5.30 yesterday, but the sun was gone. Sun was gone. All of a sudden, I heard a boom like I have never heard before. Never. I have never heard thunder like I heard it yesterday. I even verified with Jeff. Have you ever heard anything like that in your life? It was wow. I don't know where it was at. I know kind of we live in a, you know, a circle around here. So it looked like it got rougher by the bridge right there than it did just two or three miles down the road. So I don't know how it was here. But it boomed so loud. 
the first one was like, whoa. And I thought it was, you know, kind of over. And so I was downstairs, kids were upstairs. And um, I, I thought the storm was over. So I went outside, I checked something on the boat. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's like just rattle you. I was like, I'm going inside. And I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to sit with my family because that is where I feel safe. But I've never just boom, been so rattled. Actually, not to scare the kids, but with the whole Afghanistan thing and stuff, I actually leaned over to Renee. She was at the stove and I was like, did we just get attacked? Like it went through my mind because I had never heard anything like that at all. When you get that scared, it's easy to say, trust in the Lord. I was shaking. That's what we're called to do is to trust in the Lord, no matter the situation. Now, as I sit down in the comfort of my couch and still had the power on, you know, I was like, thank you, Lord, for that. But it gives you to a minute to just kind of like, that's nothing. That thunder was absolutely nothing in representing God's power. Nothing. Talk about fear of the Lord in a healthy way. As I sit and pondered that for several minutes yesterday, what God can do was just, whew, I get chill bumps now just thinking what God can do. We have to trust in Him. Verse 9. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. So we're thankful. We're thankful. One of the random things this week of studying this passage was that God doesn't measure efficiency the way that I do. Now for those that are in operations or sales or any industry, we measure efficiency in what we're quoted to do and how we did it. And most of the time in my industry, it's how many pieces of plastic you can get out the door that you're supposed to get out. Make sure you meet that goal when you go. Sales, you got, hey, I got this number of units. I got to sell these units. And that's how we do it. And we get frustrated when we, that doesn't happen. And we get frustrated in those times where we see evil and we just don't think that it's fair. But I came around this quote from John Piper. He says, God's purpose is to sanctify the traveler not simply speed him between points A and B. God's purpose is to sanctify the traveler. Not to speed him between points A and B. And I really like that because in this psalm, right, David is contemplating, how do I handle this situation? What do I do with Doeg? Well, guess what? I'm just going to let God plan that out. I'm going to let God handle that. And we see that, we see this quote throughout Scripture. Paul had planned to go to Spain in the New Testament. He had planned to go, but guess what? Did he go? Nope, he never made it. God had other plans. <laughs> and Paul ended in prison. Philippians 1.2, Philippians, excuse me, Philippians 1.12, it says, Paul's in prison. He says, I want, to know, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I want to go to Spain to spread your word, to spread the gospel. I want to go to Spain. God says, nope, you're not going to Spain. Paul ends up in prison. 
But what does Paul do? He thanks him. He thanks God for it. And he praises God for it. And he continues to witness for it. We often thank God for what he has done in our lives. And we rightfully should. But David is also, as we, he's thanking God for what he will do. I don't think we do that enough. As I reflect on my life, I don't think that I do that enough to where we reflect on what God will do in our lives. David knew that God would take care of Doeg. And we should also know that God will take care of evil ones in our world, but at his due time, in God's due time. So we should be thankful that God will indeed take care of it in knowing that it will not go unpunished. All right, and then nine, the last half of nine. I will wait for your name, for it is, the, it is good in the presence of the godly. So we already know how many people Doeg wiped out. And David had what, you know, I would say, in my human fleshly state, I would say David got every right to go take him out. Because he probably could just go take him out. But he waited on the name of God. The Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Right? It actually says it three times. One, two, three. In Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21, it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And people today use that more for revenge than what it's supposed to represent. It's supposed to represent in the New Testament, look, it's supposed to represent equal justice. If I go and I just, bam, I just knock out Joel's tooth, boom, because he popped me, guess what? He gets to knock out my tooth too. They were all equal. David, I'm sure, wanted that revenge. I'm sure he did for a fleeting thought until he realized the sovereignty of God because he knew that it would not be just. So how does, why does that go wrong and why can't we have that in our hearts? Is because we have to remember that we, as human beings, we do have a sinful, corrupted nature. And I've seen it this week many times. I saw it one time this week because, look, somebody, one kid comes up and smacks somebody else on the back of the head. That's why I did that smack because I saw it this week. Smack on the head. And then another kid runs over and says, oh, yeah, you want to smack me on your head? Guess what I'm going to do to you? Is it just a smack on the head? Nope. It's a little bit, what, more to know. Did you, see, did you get that this week too or something? Yeah, might, might have been, right? It happens. I've seen it. And then I saw it at work this week too. Somebody says something that this person don't like, and I'm like, why do you say that? I was like, how old are we here? But what does that other person want to do? Oh, well, if they're going to do that to me, guess what? Guess what I'm going to do to her? It's not an eye for an eye. It's not a tooth for a tooth. No. It's not justice. It's revenge. And we can't allow that to happen when we face evil in our lives. Romans 12, 19. Now, of course, I didn't share the passage where Jesus said that and then he added to it to give him, give him drink or turn, turn the other cheek. We're going to hit it here in what Paul says. Paul says in Romans 12, 19, to the contrary, 
if, excuse me, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So you realize that if somebody does evil to you and you go do the evil back to them, we're disobeying God? We're disobeying God when we do that. Because vengeance is not ours, vengeance is God's. And then in Romans 20 or 12, 20 through 21, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Guess what? A heart full of revenge is a heart full of evil. And we cannot have a heart full of evil if we are truly abiding in God's word. So how did David respond to evil? And how should we respond to evil? Those key words start in 52.8. Green olive tree, healthy. We should trust, we should thank him, and we should wait on the name of God to take care of the evil in our lives. So this is what David did with his encounter with Doeg. Right? So we can highlight those. Psalms 52, 1 through 4. Right? How evil, you can recognize it. Psalms 52, 5 through 7. How God deals with it. And then 8 through 9, how we should deal with it. So our takeaways from today. Number one. Evil is here. Recognize it. Don't be surprised by it. People will always meet your expectations if you lower your expectations. Sounds funny. But you can know who you'll trust. You'll know who you have higher expectations for. But evil is here. Recognize it. Don't be surprised by it. Number two, God will take care of evil in His due time. <laughs> in His due time. Number three, be fruitful. Trust Him. Thank Him. And wait for Him. And number four, Make your reaction strike pleasing to God. Make your reaction strike pleasing to God. So look, I know that evil can get us down. Evil will suck the life right out of you. Hence why it's even more important to stay. A lot of times situations can look doom and gloom. They can, you know, it's just, there's no way we can get out of this. There's no way that we can survive this. There's no way that we can even thrive in this. But guess what? It looked very, very dark and gloomy when that stone was rolled in front of that tomb. But three days later, what happened? One of the funniest things that I'll keep with me forever was when we'd done the Easter play several years ago. I got to be Jesus. When I walked out of that tomb, it changed my life forever. It changed my life forever to just have a glimpse of that victory. 
a glimpse. <laughs> it's not even a hair's width of the glimpse of the glory of God, but to just know that there is a victory. No matter what situation we're going through, there is a victory in our life, and we get to walk every day with evil around us, but we get to walk with our head held high because we know that our victory comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what we leave with today. So let's stand.